Hallelujah. Well, friends, last week you may remember that we discovered one of the most significant ways that we can walk with God is for you and I to focus on growing in our relationship with the Lord, but also with our fellowship with God. The Apostle John showed us the importance that God places on spiritual maturity and on us deepening our faith. God thinks it's pretty important, and if He thinks it's pretty important, then guess who else should? We should, amen? When God's people move from being a new believer to a maturing believer, and ultimately to a mature believer, can I tell you, God is well pleased. So we want to please God, but we learn that that doesn't automatically come when we get saved. No, it takes some time. In fact, that's really when the effort really begins, is once we do come to Christ. We found that if we're going to grow in our walk with God, we're going to have to intentionally pursue God. We're going to have to be patient with ourselves and with our failures. But we can never give up. We must be persistent in our walk with God. And ultimately, it all boils down to you and I making God our number one priority. If God occupies any other priority in your life but number one, there's a problem. Okay? And the problem is with us. We need to readjust and make God number one. Because our walk with God is not accomplished from the outside in. Our walk with God is not uh, designed to happen because of rules. Right? Instead, our walk with God happens, listen, from the inside out. It happens because of what God has done in your heart. Our walk with God is intended and is supposed to be the natural result of us having a relationship with Him and us being in close fellowship with Him. When that begins to happen, when our relationship is right, when our fellowship is right, then, friend, our walk with God begins to take the shape that God intends for it to take. You see, we live in obedience and faith not because some rules are imposed upon us. That's not why we have fellowship with God. We have a relationship and we walk in obedience and faith. Why? Because we love God. Because we appreciate what He has done for us. And we know that we want Him to receive glory through our lives. I pray that you can say that this morning. But God's people have many enemies. Can I get a testimony to that this morning? We got many enemies. There's, of course, Satan. Another enemy, of course, is the flesh. Another enemy, of course, is the fallen people that we live around. But then there's something that we really don't talk about much. And that is the world system that all those enemies function in. And that's what I want to talk to you about today is this world system that we live in. The sole mission the number one priority of this world system is to derail your walk with God. 
if it can derail your walk with God, then it has some kind of hope of defeating the kingdom of God. And that's what John talks about with us today. On page 1082, in the Bibles in front of you, if you want to follow along with me, I'm in 1 John chapter 2, just three verses today, but boy are they loaded. Amen. Verse 15, again John is writing to believers. He's writing to Christians here. And he's telling us how we can love God and not the world. Verse 15, the Bible says, John writes, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. John's overriding theme in those three short verses is that believers ought to love God and not the world. But you know, in the New Testament, that word world is used in three different ways uh, throughout the scriptures. And so it's going to be real important for you and I to identify which world we're not to love. Right? We need to know which one we're not to love. In Acts 17 verse 24, for instance, uh, Paul said, God made the world and everything in it. Y'all, I saw the most gorgeous sunset I have ever seen in my life yesterday. I'm coming out of the gym and I saw it and I said, Whoa, wow, God, that's pretty amazing. I had to stop what I was doing, took a picture of it, put it on Facebook, of course, right? But anyway, my point is this. God made the world and everything in it. When you see a sunrise or a sunset like that, when you are left breathless by, at the view of snow-capped mountains, my sister knows what that's like. She spent a lot of time out in the mountains. We realize this can't be the world that John is talking about in our verses today. So we also know that in John 3.16. John himself quotes Jesus. Using the word world. And in using the word world. He describes the human beings that God loves. And the human beings that Christ died for. So that can't be the world. That John is talking about here. But it's John's third use of this word world that we see today. You see, the world that we live in is one of the biggest obstacles we as Christians have. It's the biggest challenge because that's who we directly relate to day in and day out. The world we live in, friend, has been damaged by sin. And we see that damage Every day virtually. We see the natural disasters. We see the pandemics. We see the cancers. We see the moral collapse. We see the corrupt government. We see the crime that is through the roof. And we see this pervasive wickedness and evil that can only be explained by remembering that the Bible said it would be this way. Day in and day out, we're exposed to the world. And it's this world 
that I'm talking about. This world that John is talking about that is aligned with Satan. It is empowered by Satan. And it is ruled by Satan. And it opposes every single thing that God is trying to do. Sadly, many people, including some Christians, follow this world. Many people, including some Christians, fall in love with this world. But I wonder, did they really fall in love? Or did they fall in lust? Y'all know the difference, right? Did they really fall in love with the world? Or are they just in lust with the world? Do they really love the world? Or are they just infatuated and obsessed with the things that the world can give them? Today, John points out some dangers, some real dangers that you and I need to be aware of, dangers that Christians have when they fall in love with the world or the things in the world. But first, we must recognize the characteristics of this world system. John said, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You see, just as the kingdom of God is a reflection of the one who's its king, the world system also reflects its ruler. And its ruler is Satan. Its ruler is the devil, the arch enemy of God. This world system is operated by Satan. How do you know, Bill? We'll just go to the next page in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. John says, we know that we are of God. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. He's the ruler here. Now this is not to say that God does not uh, have control over Satan because he does. I know that may shock us to hear that Satan, not God, runs this world system. But it's not that Satan is out of God's control. It's just that Satan empowers and directs the human-centered system that this world operates under. The world system is operated by Satan. But the world system is also opposed to you and I. The, the world system is opposed to Jesus Christ and opposed to Christianity. John said in verse 16, For all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus rose from the grave three days later, God defeated the ultimate purposes of Satan, which was to keep you from heaven. Amen? Now, we can receive that blessing and we can have heaven as our home. However, with that being said, this world remains diametrically opposed to God, remains absolutely opposed to God's plans, and absolutely opposed to the purposes of God in your life. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 5 and verse 18. Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world... The world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. It's opposed to Christ. 
This world is opposed to Christianity. But I ask myself this question. Why is it that all the other religions, Islam, Buddhism, Confucianism, Hinduism, Atheism, why are all those other so-called religions tolerated in this world, but Christianity's not? Why is it? I mean, Christianity has been more responsible for more universal good than any of those other religions have, ever. Yet Christianity is despised more than any other religion. Listen, my friend. If you're a Christian, please know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Satan and this world stands against you at every single turn. And you need to be alert to that. But we must also remember at the same time that we are not to stand in judgment of this world. We're not to stand in judgment of the people in this world. Why? Because you and I were once part of that world. Amen? And that should make us more compassionate to worldly people. That make, should make us more compassionate to people who need Jesus just like you did when you came to Christ. But the world system is operated by Satan. It is opposed to Christ. It is opposed to you. And it's opposed to everything you and I stand for. Period. And that brings consequences. There are consequences when someone loves the world system. There are actually three primary consequences. Three reasons, if you will, why loving the world is a danger to your relationship with God. It's a, a reason, three reasons, consequences, why uh, th that short circuits your growth when you love the world. The first of which is this. Loving the world destroys our fellowship with God. You heard what John, John said again there in verse 15. Do not love the world of things in the world. If anyone loves the world, love of the Father is not in him. You can't do both. You can't do both. In Romans 12, 2, Paul wrote to believers. And he said, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. Rather, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, when we love the world, we gradually but surely get conformed to the world. And when we get conformed to the world, we love the Father less and less and less. Friend, do you remember what we said at our responsive reading this morning? Jesus said, you cannot serve God and mammon. Many people translate that word mammon as money or wealth or riches. But in the, in the larger context, mammon means the things of this world. You can't serve God and the things of this world. The point I'm making is this, y'all. There's not room in your heart for both God and the world. You got to have one or the other. If you try to love the world, I'm telling you this morning, your fellowship with God will suffer. You can't do both. It destroys your fellowship with God. 
But loving the world also denies our faith in God. Listen to the message translation of verse 16. I really like how uh, he put it. He said, practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, and wanting to appear important has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from Him. Wow. See, when John describes the lust for all these things that are in the world, he's not only talking about sexual things. No, he's also talking about anything that we overtly desire or crave more than we do God. The lust of the flesh, John said. The lust of the flesh are those inward desires that we want for ourselves. We need food. We desire delicacies. We need shelter, but we desire luxury. We need clothing, but we desire the finest fashions. The world tells you, get what you can get. If it feels good, do it. But if you love the world more than you love God, the love of God is not in you. The lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes refers to those outward desires. The lust of the flesh is the inward desires. The lust of the eyes refers to those outward desires we want for ourselves. You know, those things that we see and we want. Those things that we see and we desire, even if they have no real value in your life. It's those desires for extravagant things rather than the necessary things that God wants to provide in your life. And then there's the pride of life. The pride of life refers to that desire to look important. It refers to that desire to get noticed. The pride of life is driven by a self-centered desire to be recognized. It's a desire to have the appreciation and the admiration that other people have. You want what somebody else has got for yourself. Now, Satan has used these same three strategies. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He's used them for thousands of years. And you know why he uses them? Because they work. In the Garden of Eden, Eve looked and she saw that tree in the garden that God commanded that she should not eat. She looked and saw it. She saw that it was good for food. The lust of the flesh. She saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. The lust of the eyes. But then she also saw that it would make her wise. Maybe even as wise as God. The pride of life. 
friend, our faith in God tells us that God is able to provide our needs and give us joy apart from the things of the world. We don't need them. Why? We got God. Amen. We have a relationship with God. We're in close fellowship with God. And we don't need the things of the world. As long as we have God, He'll provide exactly what we need. But when we yield to those temptations, I think we're really just denying our faith in God. So there, the loving the world destroys our fellowship with Him. It certainly denies our faith in Him. But it, the loving the world also discounts our future with God. Take another look at verse 17. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. You see, when a person, a Christian, commits himself or herself to a temporary world, he or she throws away the hope of an eternal future with God. We simply cannot live with the prospect for heaven and live for this world at the same time. It's either one or the other. You can't do both at the same time. And it's your choice. It's our choice. You see, straddling the fence is not an option for the believer. It's one or the other. You're either loving the world or you're loving God. And since it's not an option for someone who follows the will of God, we must choose the permanent rather than the passing. So we've considered the characteristics of this world system and the consequences that occur when a Christian loves the world system. And that leads me just to two questions that come to my mind. First of all, why on earth would any Christian want to get entangled with the world? And secondly, if I do get entangled, how am I going to overcome the world? Let's look at both those questions. First of all, why on earth do Christians get entangled with the world? You know, I read that the most miserable person on the planet is not the unsaved person. The most miserable person on the earth is he or she who is out of fellowship with God. Why is that? Why is being out of fellowship with God make somebody so miserable? Well, maybe it's because they got a little taste of the joy of being in close fellowship with God. But they went back to the world and they lost it. It's easy to do. And I believe that's why the Lord is sharing this message with you today. Sharing this message with me today. So that we can realize how important it is to stay in fellowship with God. I mean, no one says, today I'm going to mess up my life. Today I'm going back to the world. Nobody says that. It happens very subtly and very gradually. And that's how the enemy of God always, always strategizes and how he acts. Here's how it goes down. They first become friends with the world. 
James said, he who wants to be a friend with the world makes himself an enemy with God. And friendships like, friendships with the world like any other friendship always begin very casually and very subtly. It can happen before you know it. So you need to be alert to it. And then after they become friends with the world, then it's really easy to get spotted by the world or get stained by the world. Now let me tell you something about stains. Every time I wear a white long sleeve shirt to church and I'm getting out of my car, somehow, some way, I rub across the facing of my door and I get a black stripe on my white shirt. Now, the only way that I got that stain on my white shirt is by rubbing up against it. Y'all hearing me? Somebody say amen. The only way we get stained by the world is by rubbing up against it. James says that we must keep oneself unspotted, unstained by the world. But then after they become friends with the world, they get, get that stain on them, then they began to say, man, that black stripe ain't so bad. Maybe I need to get another one on this side to match. And they start loving the world. But what did John say? Do not love the world or the things in the world. Because the love of the world is not of the Father. Making contact with the world begins to stimulate our passion for the world. What began as a friendship now is this incredibly passionate relationship with the world. John said, don't love it. Don't love the world or the things in the world. They'll stain you. And ultimately, they'll, these folks will become conformed to the world. I shared with you Romans 12 too. Paul said, don't be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Just like two people who've been married for eons and they start finishing each other's sentences. We can also become conformed to the world. What began as a friendship, listen carefully. What began as a friendship and shifted into being stained and then loving. What started as a friendship now has become imitation. And we start imitating things in the world. That is how Christians get entangled with the world. And I'd venture to say that most every one of us have been there in some form or fashion to some degree or another. So once we get entangled, how do we get unentangled? How do we overcome the world? If you find that you become too friendly with the world. I want to share with you three quick influences that can help you to overcome and to break that friendship with the world. The first one is this. The pledge of faith in Jesus Christ. John said it in 1 John 5 and verse 4. Whatever is born of God, saved, Christian, Believer, heaven bound, 
Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. Pledge your faith in God. You see, Satan, we were talking about this in life group. Satan loves to cause Christians to doubt their faith. Certainly I wouldn't get myself entangled with the world if I was a Christian. Certainly I wouldn't begin imitating or get conformed to the world if I was a believer in Jesus. And they begin to doubt their faith. So the first thing we need to do is put the nail down and identify, am I saved? And if you're biblically saved, don't you ever, ever, ever doubt your faith again. It's done. Our faith can overcome all the temptations of the world. So make sure that we pledge our faith in Jesus. But then we also need to realize that we can overcome the world. We can break the friendship with the world through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Look in 1 John 4 and verse 4. John says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater is God who is in you. You see, friend, you alone are no match for Satan. He'll whoop you every time. You are no match for Satan. But listen, the God in you is. He is a match. And he can whoop him good. Friend, only by the presence of the living God, through the Holy Spirit of God in us, do we have any hope whatsoever to break the friendship with the world. God is greater. We need to learn to trust the presence within us and yield to Him. God is greater than the world. Period. End of sentence. So we can overcome the world and break this friendship uh, through the pledge of faith in Jesus Christ and through the presence of the Holy Spirit. But finally, we can break that friendship through the power of God's Word. I shared with my life career, i got to share it with y'all too. I told y'all that beginning this year, I was going to start reading the Bible through again, and I was going to read it cover to cover. That includes the table of contents and the maps. Amen. Everything. I'm going to read it cover to cover this year again. And I want to tell you, it has reaped a reward in my life, and it's only February the 5th. I can't imagine what the next 11 months hold. I cannot wait. The power of God's Word has broken my friendship with the world. And it can do yours the same way. Last week we learned that the Word of God dwelling richly in us can overcome the wicked one. My life, I've fleshed that out this year so far. I've seen it firsthand. And I want you to know that you can too. Listen, if, you, if you're listening, say amen. Listen, folks. If you will renew your mind daily, if you will renew your mind daily with the Word of God, the chances of you being transformed by the Word of God instead of being conformed by the world multiply exponentially. If you'll just put forth the effort, be a little bit disciplined, and be transformed by the renewing of your mind.
I want to be transformed by the word, not conformed to the world. Somebody say amen. Now, the concluding question we got to ask is this. Am I overcoming the world? Or is the world overcoming me? I cannot answer that for you. I can tell you what I see. If you ask. <laughs> am I loving God or am I loving the world and the things in the world? You see, one of those leads to joy and eternal life. The other one leads to sorrow and an eternity of separation with God. So I want to encourage you, friend, don't toy with the world. Don't get entangled with that world. Don't toy with this world. Come to Jesus and stay with Jesus. Live for Jesus and love you, Jesus. Amen? I mean, come to him. Think about it. Jesus stepped out of the glory of heaven, stepped into a sinful world. Why? For you. If he'll come to me, surely I can come to him. But when I come, I'll send you to stay with him. When Jesus was nailed upon that cross, he could have called down a legion of angels to free him and get him down off of that bloody, splintery, rugged cross but he didn't he stayed why did he stay for us he stayed for us so come to Jesus and stay with Jesus but then you got to live for Jesus do you remember what Peter said Jesus is telling the disciples hey I gotta go to Jerusalem I got to be uh arrested and I've got to be scourged and I've got to be crucified but then I've got to raise, be raised again and Peter said no no Jesus if you die I'm dying too but I'll never deny you but Jesus didn't want Peter to die for him he wanted him to live for him he wants us to live for him too to come to him to stay with him to live for him and by all means just to love him Romans 5 8 the Bible says God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners Christ died for us it'd be tough for me to love somebody that sinned against me like that but he did he does and he wants us to love him in return so friend, if you've never come to Christ, come to him. Stay with him. Live for him. And love him. And if you're a believer and you've gotten entangled with the world and you're working on overcoming that and breaking that friendship, come to Jesus. Stay with him. Live for him. And love him. That's all he asks. And the blessings are all ours. Love God, not the world or the things in the world. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I praise you and thank you for your matchless, incredible love. Father, I pray 
that each one of your servants, each one of your children, every believer, every Christian in the room and listening in, will resolve from this day forward to love you and you only and not the world or the things in the world. We know what they're all about now, according to Scripture. And we only want you. We don't want that. We only want you. So, Father, I pray if there's anyone who needs to make a decision to come to Jesus for the first time or to come to him again, Lord, you would just give them the courage and the faith to take that step. You'll do the rest. Thank you for loving us like you do. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said.